A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rul Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. And we are live from IMAX 2022 in Las Vegas. And my name is Rul Trissen, and with me today I have Tracy Stuckrat. Tracy, welcome. Thank you very much. And Tracy is actually a industry veteran already, if I may say so, that, like myself, right? In the industry for a long time. Yep. And in your LinkedIn profile, when I look you up, it says Thrive Meeting and Events. Can you tell me a little bit like about your company, but maybe start off by where you actually, how and why you entered this industry? Oh my gosh. So my how and why I entered this industry. My new thing is that I realized that my first event I probably planned was Condom Awareness Week in college for the health center. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, then, and then my joke to that is that I have no children, so maybe it worked. But Change your behavior, right? Change my behavior, yeah. yes. So, no, I, I started as, a, as an event planner in college doing that, but also with my sorority. And then I, after college, got a job in an association, planning meetings on tanks and bombs and airplanes, the defense organization. And then the Olympics, at, well actually I went to a venue for a short time, and then the Olympics, and then I went corporate. Okay. And while I was in one of my corporate jobs, I got diagnosed with a food allergy. And I was planning 100 events a year, couldn't eat at my own events, and this was back in 2003. And, you know, six years later, I took a nutrition education course, and I'm sitting in Lincoln Center in New York City taking this class, and there's 1,500 other people in the room with me, and I'm like, I need to start a business to educate my industry on how to feed me as well as all the other people in this room. Cause they, and they were doctors and yoga instructors and nurses and moms and... And so I just said, I'm going to start a company that that makes the world healthier one event at a time. And so that was 12 years, that was 2009. I started my company in 2010, Thrive Meetings and Events. And so it's been 12 years now. And that's what I do. I educate event planners. I work with event planners on figuring out how to make sure, not only are they making the budget, not breaking the budget, right? but also how they can make their food and beverage inclusive. Mm -hmm. And it is, to be honest with you, when I started 12 years ago speaking, I'm like, here's food allergies, here's medical conditions, here's kosher, and here's vegan, right? But over the course of the last 12 years, it's become so much more than that. It's diversity, equity, and inclusion, making sure that everyone has a seat at the table, and it is sustainability. Because when I order you a filet mignon and you're vegan and I haven't asked you, how, I just paid, what, $150 plus plus for that filet mignon steak that is now going in the trash and I'm going to have to pay the hotel another $150 to feed you a vegan meal. So, and then during COVID, at the start of it, 
you know, there were a lot of webinars, right? So I did probably eight webinars in the first April and May. And I started a Facebook group called Eating at a Meeting. And I have about 1,100 members in that Facebook group. Wow. And I do Facebook Lives every week with my own podcast called Eating at a Meeting. So. That's interesting. Yeah. And also interesting to to see how can we how can we we are looking at, at events through the lens of behavior change, right? right? So using the event canvas methodology and so and we often are looking at changing behavior in small increments, like very very small right. th subtle things. We're trying to find the best formats to do that. How could food play a role in changing, so making sure that people are open-minded, receptive to all the all the all the. Um, the signals they're getting, all the messages right. they're getting. How, how could food play a role in it? We, we know the after lunch dip, we right. know these kind of things mm -hmm. happen to people. How could food play a role in, 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 in the content absorption almost to say, right? right? So um, Yeah, I mean, you really have to think about it. So like, think about continental breakfast, right? You feed everybody all those muffins, those croissants, those bagels, and that's got a lot of carbs in it and it's gonna make them crash, right? And your body's going to crash because it's got too much sugar in it and so you're not paying attention. So how can we add more local produce because that's got a lot more nutrients in it? How can we add, take away all the sugar? I mean, I don't want you to take the sugar completely away because people will have a conniption fit, but remove a lot of that sugar and put the vitamins and nutrients that we need to survive and to make it to thrive, you know, to stay awake. So it's looking at you know, a good balanced meal of a protein, whether it's vegan protein or, you know, animal-based protein, you know, a vegetable on the side, and the vegetable should actually be the bigger portion of that plate, and then some kind of starch, but a smaller portion of that, and thinking about that. And, and actually in my session this morning, somebody asked, well, how do you do breaks, right? What do you do? And when, especially when you're trying to feed a, a variety of different people, like remove the dietary needs from the equation, right? Like if, so remove, well my one example is escargot, which would be a really expensive break mm -hmm. item, right? But if somebody's allergic to pineapple, you can easily remove pineapple from the break. And, and people who are gluten-free and people who are milk allergy, they can still eat, or the people who are not that way, I'm sorry, can eat the gluten-free food and can eat the dairy-free food it won't matter to them if they're doing that, but we do have to think about how we nourish our bodies with the food versus giving the standard American diet, which is not good for you. So, so many many venues where we actually do our trainings, events on level mm -hmm. level one to two, three trainings, are offering different kind of break food, different kind of lunches, and and and, and many many go actually quite quite a bit into bring food and right, eat it, right? Mm -hmm. so they try to cater to yeah to the they, they look at looking at what is the behavior change how what, what do people need to do between the breaks right and how can we best feed them right to to make them so what what kind of food do we need to think of think of which we don't know or do you have creative creative ideas for venues and caterers well i mean one of the like blueberries and you could fill this entire convention center with blueberries and i would eat my way out of it but it, it, it it's really is, there's a, there's a long list of brain foods that are out there. You know, nuts are really good for us. Blueberries and fruits and vegetables that are really good for us that can actually adhere, you know, help with that. So it's looking at balancing that out and not loading it up with cream on top, 
right? You Which need is it. delicious. It is delicious, <laughs> but it's probably not. That's why it doesn't. It's bad for you because it's delicious. But really, looking at, you know, what can be healthy, and I, I, for some reason, the whole list of, you know, the brain food food is leaving my brain at the moment. But it is looking at that. What can you add? Nuts and seeds. Can you add? fruits and vegetables to those meals all the way through the day. And just because it's breakfast doesn't mean you can't have vegetables in your meal, right? A lot of people eat an omelet that's got vegetables in it when they, you know, they order it, but they don't think about that. Yeah. Okay, good. So <clears throat> you're back to back to, to the origin of your story where mm -hmm. you actually took the decision to yeah, focus your business on, on, on food. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you discovered food allergy, right? Right. Yeah. So now I think I was, I was in August in Montreal where we did our program. I was at a, at a table for lunch and then they said most the, the, the average age people discover a food allergy is above 40 years old, mm -hmm. right? So yep. many people don't know yet yes. what kind of allergy they might have. Mm -hmm. What does that say? It says there's something wrong with our food system, to be honest with you. So I know in, this, in the U.S., I know this statistic is that there are 32, Mer 32 million Americans with food allergies. And that study came out in 2019. And before that, they were saying it was only 15 million. So it's more than double. And it's 26 million of them are adults, so over the age of 18. And it is, it's, you can actually eat something your entire life and then all of a sudden something triggers and you're allergic to it. So you can grow in and out of your allergens at any time. Adult, on food, adult onset food allergies is a real thing. It's not necessarily, it's not always a picky thing. But shellfish is the number one adult onset allergen, which is crazy, yeah. but it, it, it really is an issue and it's not and these aren't people who are just picking them you know some of the people are picking choosing their diets based on not a doctor's you know thing a doctor's diagnosis but these are the 32 million Americans actually these are doctor diagnosed allergens and the number in across the world is about 250 million people that have food allergies and they're in your workplace and they're in your events. Yeah. And 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 maybe maybe to to, to talk about that elephant in the room mm -hmm. or on this table or at IMAX <laughs> right. is exactly that, right? Many people think like people food allergy, like in the past that didn't happen, there was no gluten allergy like twenty years ago or at least they never heard of it. Right. Is that a is that a modern disease or is that a modern what, what is that? How, how do you think about that? Well, celiac disease was actually first noted in 1 BC or wow. 1 AD, 1 AD after yeah. So that's actually documented in something. So that was noted way back then. So it's been around. And the food allergy, my brother had food allergies and he was born in 1970, so he had some that he outgrew, but all of the doctors, it's all theory right now. They can't actually pinpoint one single thing that's causing it, but a lot of the theories include genetically modified food, pesticides on our food, a study that showed there's more, fewer allergens, people with allergy, people who live in the rural communities have fewer allergens than people who live in urban communities. So it's, you know, our air filtration systems, we're using a lot of HEPA, HEPA filters to keep the world out of us, yeah. right? And you and I probably grew up running around and playing in the dirt and climbing trees. And, and so we're getting the environment into our system so the body knows how to protect it. And the immune system is designed to protect us. And when it doesn't, when it says something that it doesn't like, 
you know, it's going to kick it back out. And I actually, like, 15 minutes ago, I met this woman, and I was introduced to her, and, and my friend told, me, told her I'm, like, all about food allergies. And she's like, well, my granddaughter, her, her son-in-law came home, had eaten potato chips, kissed his daughter on the cheek, and within eight minutes, she was turning blue. And it's an allergy to potato, the protein in potatoes. And it's, it's Fripps, and it food allergy, some, I, I don't remember how to say it exactly. And it's a real thing. And so it, that was mind boggling to them. And now they have to avoid potatoes at, and it's potato starch as well. So it's, everybody's body is different and you could eat all the dairy in the world that you want, but I might not be able to do that. Yeah. And we can't get, just one note on that. I mean, we can't, and my friend Erica, whose hashtag on social media is celiac and the beast, she said this on my show last year. She's like, what is your problem or what, what issue do you have with me having to avoid eating something and not dying? If I'm, if I can't, if I'm choosing, not, not choosing, if I can't eat this because it would cause me to die, what problem do you have with that? That's very, very well put, right? Yeah. So, and I think that that puts puts it where it, where it should be, right? So everybody is free to choose their own food, right? Right. And, and, and the, the the biggest problem is at events, right. what you're pointing out, mm -hmm. that you are all that that is that you are not free, right? You right. sometimes you have to eat and feed yourself, right? And there is only a. a selection of food available right which is which you have to do you have to cope with that mm -hmm. yeah I mean I, I worked an event in this building a couple of years probably a decade ago we had 7,000 people for lunch and we had 683 people with dietary requests and how do you feed that how do you feed them and some of them were it was a big tech conference so we had a lot of people from India and so there was we did have Indian vegetarian and Indian vegan we had gluten-free and dairy-free and we had nut allergies and things like that but that is a challenge how do you feed 7,000 people the same food when you've got these different needs to accommodate and I find <clears throat> I find always the diff difficulty with not having allergies but still good food right, right. Finding, finding the right food mm -hmm. and the, the unhealthy option is always at, at arms arms length right, right. you can you can find it everywhere mm -hmm. but the healthy options are, are, are or, or more expensive right or further away, you have to do something to in order to to, or you have to think ahead, right? So that is that is that is a real problem, I guess. Yeah. Right? So when you look at at my hotel mm -hmm. in Vegas, yeah, healthy, really healthy options like for snacks is non-existent. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And like, and I I was in a hotel in Orlando a couple of weeks ago, and I paid twenty-one dollars for three bottles of water because I don't like the water in Florida. Yeah. But like, why should it be that expensive? And or when you're thinking about a show like this, I'm having to leave the show floor to get something to eat. So I'm losing the ability to do the job that I came here for because I need to feed myself with something that's not found on the show floor at all, right? Or even within that arm's reach, right? So you've actually not made that experience that business expense is not worth my time anymore. And somebody mentioned to me earlier today, oh no, it was um, rude. He said, he's reading the book about regret, mm -hmm. right? And so would you regret me leaving, you know, how much business are you, how many 
clients are you potentially losing from your event because you didn't choose to change the menu, right? That is important, yeah. So, so food is important. Everybody needs food, right? Right. So you cannot, like, it's our you, common you, ground. Yeah, so, so you can quit smoking, but you cannot quit eating, right? So right. you can quit drinking alcohol, but you cannot stop drinking. Right. right? So, so, you ha so we have to eat our... We have to eat. We, we must eat. We must right? eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you also... I'm still, like, in the... How could we connect that to behavior, right? So mm -hmm. would it be possible to, to, to design almost a personal menu, right? So would that be, is that something you, you, you thought of? Is that something your clients request? Yeah, I mean, when you have a big group, it makes it a lot harder to do those. And I, and I like the fact that it's not, I don't like using the word special meals. I like personalized plates mm -hmm. because that's what it is. It's personalization of it. And how can you do that? And, and I think... Looking at the event as a whole and trying to eliminate some of the challenges, the foods, you can actually reduce the need for personalization, but you can also, if there is the 100% need to do the personalization, it can be done. But it also is, in this day and age of reducing food waste, you don't want to have five zillion options, and that's kind of like a hotel menu right now. The menus are 25 pages long. And it gets too hard to make a decision. So a lot of people are m minimizing their menu list, right? But, you know, using the, your event canvas, how can you do that? But there's a lot of logistics in that. And yep. servers and chefs and sous chefs and line cooks and, and, and the attendee themselves. Exactly. Because I, I sometimes... I, I, um, also, sometimes like the unhealthy options. Mm -hmm. That's my personal thing. Yeah. Um, guilty pleasure. Yeah. And sometimes I feel patronized by mm -hmm. by the ones who are telling me to eat this, this, and that. Right. So right. How do you? How do you? What do you think about that? It's really hard. I mean, I went to a restaurant. La I don't know when I went to a restaurant <laughs> yesterday or today, and the first thing they do is turn the bar menu up. That's the first thing they're presenting you with. It's not the food menu, it's the bar menu. So they're assuming that you're gonna be a drinker, right? And when you don't have a non-alcoholic option, because I don't drink, I stopped drinking almost four years ago. When you don't have a non-alcoholic option on that, that's disrespectful, right? Just say, here's the menu, put the food up first and then say that. So it is, you do get patronized, or patronized, patronized is, it's just the same letters, probably just pronounced differently. But you do get, in an essence, a different word, bullying. Bullied for it, right? Yeah. Or, hey, why aren't you drinking? Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a young lady who's maybe just found out she's pregnant, why do you, why is that? Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's so, it's, we're so programmed, wired almost, right? Mm -hmm. So, hey, want a beer? Right. right. So that's that's mm -hmm. one of the first questions you ask right. when somebody comes in at a certain day of day or time of day, right? Right. So, mm -hmm. And that is, and, and that's no offense, but right. you don't think about it, right? So it's yeah. like um, everybody does that, and it's I don't I don't drink during the week, right? And when I'm not at events, right? Trying to limit that in the, to the weekends, and that's what I do, right? So, but then every time, so three three four times a week. I get in a situation where people like offer me, offering me, uh, or assuming mm -hmm. that I like to drink alcohol. Right. right. So I think that is, and the same goes for people who have celiac or right. Right. People mm -hmm. assuming. So we have to actually maybe 
consume less when it comes yeah. to food mm-hmm. and, uh, and think about it a little more. Is that, is that what you are, is that your mission or what is your mission? My mission is to make sure that everybody doesn't leave the room hangry. And, and, and so that we learn how to create safe, sustainable, and inclusive experiences. And because you don't want to be at the staff meeting where everybody's eating pizza and you're either allergic to dairy or cheese or pepperoni or whatever, or you have a religious-based practice and, and even having events on religious holidays, right? And you're not providing for. A couple of months ago, I had an event. My client hired me and it was over Passover. And this is interesting. I had three different people who were Jewish attend that event. One was Orthodox Jew and needed a full gamut of, you know, Passover food. Well, Passover Jewish is different than, or Passover kosher is different than everyday kosher. And so I had to find a caterer to do that. And then one of the other guys is like, nope, I just need no dairy, no pork, and no beef, you know. And then the other guy goes, I want the the kosher meal for breakfast, but the other two meals I'll just eat off the buffet as long as I it's labeled. So kind of figuring that out, and it was a, I, and it was also due during Ramadan, but unfortunately I didn't get anybody celebrating Ramadan, so I was like, oh my God, give me all of it at one time, right? But it is, my mission is to make sure that everybody has something to eat, right? And they don't feel excluded because it's, it's, detrimental to someone's personality it's detrimental to your well-being and when we're all about well-being right now and being our authentic selves we should be able to bring our authentic self to the table that's a very nice and deep last statement i think thank you tracy for being on our podcast and uh, we will make sure to put your bio our linkedin bio in, in our in the, in the uh, podcast details okay great so that we can read more and uh, visit your website okay thank Thanks. you for having uh, thank you for being on, the, on this on this podcast oh thank you for having me and thank you all for being on mine too this has been another episode of the design to change designer conversation series Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.